Welcome to the Strand Baptist Church podcast. New episodes will be made available every weekday for the full duration of the lockdown here in South Africa. For more information, please visit our website at www.strandbaptist.org.za. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Culture and Christianity. How culture works. Let's start off here by saying that culture is dynamic. What I mean here is quite simple. Culture is not fixed. Culture is not static. Remember, as Andy Crouch has said, culture is what human beings make of the world. And human beings are continually making something of the world. And therefore, culture is continually changing. When I was a teenager, skinny jeans and colorful ones in particular, skateboard shoes and clothing brands such as Rocket Fuel were cool. These were what the the cool kids wore. I doubt that many teenagers today even know about Rocket Fuel. And I haven't seen too many wearing colorful skinny jeans either. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) There was a time that bell-bottom jeans were fashionable. But no longer. Not too long ago, writing letters to one another was a part of the way we communicated. But now, there is email, WhatsApp, text messages. Not too long ago, marriage was understood to be between a natural man and a natural woman. Notice how culture has forced me to use the word natural here. The point is, culture is not fixed. It is dynamic. Now, in the first episode, I alluded to the fact that our beliefs, ideas, and values influence and inform how it is that we make something of the world. Remember the bacon and pasta analogy? Now, sociologists refer to this as externalization. As John Stonestreet says, Humans externalize their values, imaginations, innovations, and ideas on the world around them by what they do. This is important to grasp, for when our values, beliefs, and minds change, then, by extension, so does culture. When what we do becomes a part of the normal way of life, We call this cultural norms, or the technical word that sociologists use is objectification. So, for example, owning a car is a cultural norm in South Africa. We've got stop streets, robots that taxis don't really care about. We've got freeways, we've got garages to fill up the petrol tank. We have industries dedicated to fixing cars. Because people like myself aren't all that good at it. And also, we prefer owning a car because our public transport system is less than efficient. I am being kind at this point. However, John Stone Street says that in New York City, many people forego owning a car. Because of the healthy transport system and the close proximity of stores and employment and the bumper-to-bumper traffic that we have all seen in the movies we have watched. So, what is a cultural norm in South Africa is not a cultural norm in New York City. Culture is dynamic. Cultural norms vary from place to place. 
and cultural norms influence us as well. We call this internalization. So what we make of the world evolves into cultural norms, and these cultural norms in turn influence our lives by convincing us of what is normal and therefore good. I want to say that again. Cultural norms influence our lives by convincing us of what is normal and therefore good. To quote Stone Street again, he says simply, we make our cultures and then our culture shapes us. Now, as Richard Weaver famously said, ideas have consequences. Ideas influence our culture. Remember that culture is what human beings make of the world. What human beings make of the world is influenced by our beliefs and values, which are shaped by ideas. Think about the cultural, the current cultural idea that we should pursue pleasure at all costs. It is a cultural idea that's ingrained in us. Many of us don't even realize that it's there. You have no doubt heard statements that stem from this idea. When people are looking for direction and are, are stuck with how to go forward in life, you will probably hear the well-intentioned advice, do what makes you happy. Now this idea of happiness and happiness now has led many people to live for the moment and therefore to delay gratification is an absurdity. This is why many people live with paralyzing debt. Ideas have consequences. Now, how do these ideas influence us? How do they get into the culture? How do these ideas spread? They spread through what John Stone Street calls champions. Uh, think of here the lecturers, academics, philosophers, theologians. And yet, these ideas do not spread without artists, journalists, and teachers. I'll, I'll give you an example. Think of uh, the feminist movement. The The reason why I'm using this example is because I actually uh, wrote my senior project paper on this. Um, the feminist movement. Feminist ideals were explained and brought to the world through intellectual figures such as de Beauvoir, who wrote about the discontent that women were feeling due to their specific roles in the home, in the church, and in the family. However, not too many feminists know about de Beauvoir. It was the American journalist Betty Friedman who took the work of de Beauvoir and made it accessible to the everyday woman. Without Betty Friedman, the work of de Beauvoir would have remained in her journals and its cultural influence would be irrelevant. The work of Betty Friedman eventually influenced the church through Catherine Bliss, as she called for a re-evaluation of the roles of men and women in the church. This call gathered momentum as literature started to make its way into Christian households and into the church. Eventually, Christianity Today published an article crying out for the liberation of women. All this is to say that ideas are perpetuated through artists, journalists, teachers. These offices or vocations 
have an integral part to play in culture building and culture shaping, whether they realize it or not. When it comes to perpetuating, maintaining or changing culture, institutions play a primary role. The institutions I'm referring to are primarily the family, the church and the state. Now, think about the state for the moment. When the state makes an institutional change, there is a ripple effect on the culture. Uh, in South Africa, we have the fact here that marriage is not biblically defined. So, same-sex marriage or same-sex mirage, as Doug Wilson calls it, is defined as a constitutional right. And so here we have the state externalizing its values on the culture. And now this is seen as the cultural norm, objectification. And therefore, when photographers refuse to take photos of this mirage, they are hounded in the media as bigots and homophobes and are taken to court for discrimination. In fact, due to a recent decision, marriage officers in the public sector now have to solemnize uh, same-sex marriages despite their religious convictions or find alternative employment. What this tells Christians and Muslims and Jews is that working in the public sector is no longer for them. And in time, marriage officers in the public sector will be exclusively pro-homosexuality. Same-sex marriage will face no objections from marriage officers. This will become normal. There won't be any articles about it. The church will be hushed into a corner. The only sounds you will hear as the secularists are dancing in the streets are mantras such as love is love. And that is how culture influences us. Culture is most effective in what it presents as normal. Ideas have consequences. This is especially important for us as Christians because we are called not to be shaped by the culture, but to instead shape the culture. As Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm -hmm.